Hi, my name is Monica Gleberman. I'm Victoria Dupuy. And you're listening to Silence On Set Podcast. We are so excited about this episode. The amazing Jack Loudon and Terrence Davies are here to talk about their new film, Benediction. This movie just premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, and we hope you guys enjoy. And as always, thank you so much for listening. So nice to meet you guys. I'm so excited uh, to speak with you guys. So I just want to start off. I, you know, I'm sure everyone's probably going to ask this, but why did you want to make a movie about Siegfried? And for Jack, like what kind of pulled you into this role? Because you're doing dual stuff, right? You're doing the narration, you're playing the character, and then there's also the future, you know, that you have to keep in mind that they're going to be showing the future, like him older. So what kind of played into that? Well, it, it's because when you discover a great poet, um, like discovering Emily Dickinson, you want um, you want to try and do the best for them, whilst also seeing the things that are not pleasant about them. You know, um, there's nothing worse, I think, than hagiography when you know someone is you know virtually a saint. You know, from the word go. Now people aren't like that, and and people. Poets, great artists, are like everybody else. You know, they can be wonderful, they can be horrible, and they go to the lavatory like everyone else. You know, there's no glamour in in real life. There's no glamour. Inevitably, when you shoot it, it becomes glamorous because you can't help it. Um, but I tried to be true to what I saw that I responded to his life. In terms of the in terms of the narration. Um... It, it, that that was a massive part of it because you we got to hear his poetry, and um, like Terence has said before, in in the you know normally in in a biopic like this you would see um, you would see him sit and go oh oh that's a good idea for a poem and and start writing something down and and that that you it's sort of there it sort of chapters it in a sense and it, it, it's. It's some. Um, it's in keeping with the style of his poetry as well, and the sort of starkness of it, and in that was so sort of different for the time, and describing the war in particular. That um, it's poetry that I've known roughly since I was a kid. Since I was at, at high school, we get we 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 always do our first world war poets when we were at high school, and his is the poetry that I remember most because it was it was it's not as for want of a better word, it's not as flowery as the rest of it in terms of it's sort of, it doesn't feel pretentious at any point, um, which was why his portrait was so hard hitting. But um, no, that was wonderful. We did that over a day. We did that over a day sort of before we shot and we did we cleaned it up a little bit after, but I did that before we shot anything, um, a lot of the poetry. Um, so uh, it, was a, it was a great way to sort of ease, ease into him, yeah. And Terence, you mentioned you know, not making it like a pretty, right? Like a pretty glorified film. I think you did a great job. Um, I wanted to ask both of you, it's kind of similar, but you show a lot of obviously World War One, And it. I feel like Terrence, for you, I wanted to ask you in terms of directing, you know, why was that so important to make sure that those clips were playing in the background, especially when he's thinking or having moments. Um, and then for Jack, for you, not only are you acting to nothing, right? Nothing's behind you. So like what was in your head to prepare for that as well? And why was it so important? Do you think that he had suffered his whole life from it? Did he carry it his whole life? 
you know, um, it was obviously affecting him because he did poetry about his whole life. So um, those are kind of my questions for you guys relating to that World War One kind of background that plays throughout. Well, the, the, the problem with uh, First World War films is they try to recreate what was like in the trenches and they can't. If you had a, billions of dollars, you cannot recreate what it was like. When you see that footage, this, you can't imitate it. And also, the other, and this is this is a prejudice, not an opinion. Um, the problem with a lot of British films about the First World War, we have this cliche now, this long Edwardian summer, where people float around, you know, in taffeta and silk and have a wonderful time. Well, if you were working in a factory or down a mine, it wasn't like that at all. So what I wanted to do was to get the interiors looking as sumptuous as possible so that when you see what they have to go through, the contrast is made there. But you cannot recreate the trenches. You cannot, and that war footage is so powerful you can't not use it and not only is it monstrous it's beautiful as well yeah i agree it, it was it was amazing and haunting at the same time uh you did such a great job with it and um you know jack i know i i asked kind of a bunch of things at once but i know for, for yeah. you it's kind of hard because you're not seeing it right obviously and you're sitting there and your character's going through so much uh, emotion and I feel like it correlates to these scenes that are behind him. So how do you do that as an actor? And what did that mean to you for playing him? I mean, particularly when it comes to war and experience of war, you know, I've, I've done uh, two or three things now where, where, where the character is either in war at the time or has experienced it. And um, it, one of the very first jobs that I did was about the Black Watch Regiment in the invasion of Iraq. And, um, we were briefed very, very quickly that we cannot pretend that we know what it's like. And so, but we're encouraged to find moments in war where you think you might be able to experience something on the same level. And the one thing I was always encouraged to experience, to, 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 to sort of relate to is the boredom and the waiting. There's a lot of boredom and waiting in war. And um, I do it quite a lot when I'm sat around in a train station and there's people in a long queue is that I do that thing that they sometimes do in films where you go from modern people and you suddenly dress them up in your head as if they're in the First World War. And I imagine what they all would have been doing in the First World War, you know, um, because to me, a lot of war by people who have either been at war or people whose memoirs I've read, it's a, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of waiting, and a lot of boredom and a lot of introspection. So it's, I try to relate as much as I can to that because I think that's the only thing I can relate to. And the rest, I just rely on the script yeah. There were so many different factors into this movie. I mean, Siegfried is so prolific and the incorporation of his sexuality was obviously very important and very impactful. And in the movie, we see him marry, which at the time isn't peculiar. But how did you go about the process of bringing his sexuality into play and how did you want it to be received? Well, the, the, the thing was what had to deal with that particularly his homosexuality because he had he chose the wrong people to fall in love with um and the only person he did really did love uh, he didn't consummate it with which was what we're doing um and so it, it had to be looked at um but the the problem with any time you bring sex into it um you run the risk of having these 
close shots where they've got no clothes on and they breathe very heavily, you know, and they're clearly got the most gorgeous tanned bodies and nobody ever farts or gets cramp, you know, and I don't believe it. The whole point is that you, you see the fact that he picks up, Novella picks up Wilfred, uh, um, sorry, Siegfried, and did they just go to bed? The whole point is not that they're making love, but the fact they're making love in front of the other boyfriend. That's the cruelty. Um, and I think, and I think still think it's true to a certain extent today. Um, the, there, there's a part of the male gay scene which is very unpleasant. It's, it's sexually venal and it's um, narcissistic. Um, and I wanted to avoid that. Um, I just wanted it to be as stark as that, but not obvious, you know, not obvious. The, the things that are about sexuality, of being rejected for one thing, you know, where should I put the key? Back on the floor, he says. You know, I mean, and he says, you know, we've, we've got a casserole waiting. I mean, it's so cruel. Um, and in fact, the three years that he ha uh, Siegfried had a, uh, a relationship with Ivan Novello, Siegfried destroyed his diaries for those three years. The, the effect on him was so harmful. Um, and so I tried, but also I wanted it to be fun as well. The other part of uh, gay society is that you meet an awful lot of people who are very funny. You know, who are fun to be around. You know, they've got a very sharp, quick wit. Um, and that's wonderful. Um, so I hope when the audience actually see it, they bring a laughometer. That was a joke, you may laugh. <laughs> it was a very good joke. We're laughing, we're at me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I feel like that's very true. I, I do agree with you. Um, I think it's the quote of the day that no one farts on, on camera, but it, but it's no. true. Like it's very not realistic. And for, you know, the gay culture, you know, I do think that you repped it very well, that these two guys just want to get together and that's, that's it. And that's what you show. And then that cruelty of the kind of, well, he doesn't know he's an ex yet, but the boyfriend coming in and then seeing, you know, and then telling, and, you know, telling him to put it on the counter and he drops it on the floor, almost like you're a dog. Like he's, worth nothing and you know and kind of just walks out and the same for and it happens again you know to Sigrid and then he throws it on the floor you know and walks out so I I do think it's not the main focus of the film but it's, it's definitely an element that I think is important because of how you show it because the real journey is in trying to find redemption that's the real journey and the problem with that is you don't find it in anybody else you don't find it in religion or any kind of organized society. If you don't find it within yourself, you don't find it at all. And I don't think he finds it. I just don't think he finds it, which, which that's the real sadness, you know, that in a way you have to surrender to the fact that you haven't found it. And that's very, very hard, very hard indeed. And I have a question for both of you relating to that. So, do you, you know, when the film shows him older, obviously he's going to church or he's sitting in the pews at least thinking, reflecting. And then at the end, which was like, you know, obviously we don't want to give away like too much of the spoilers, but it was super emotional and the, and the 
what's being read and what you're or said and what you're seeing is super emotionally heartbreaking. So do you think that he was sad his whole life, even though he was a warrior against World War One, or was he just affected by it? Or was he going to church to seek something? Like, what was he ultimately trying to find? Because he seems so sad. It, it's very simple. He's weeping for all that has gone before in his life and other people's. He's weeping for that. Um, and he's weeping for Wilfred Owen, because, you know, we don't hear the Wilfred Owen poem when Wilfred gives it to him. We hear it at the end. And that's what triggers it, you know. That's what triggers it. And you could, there are moments, I think, ev where everyone reaches rock bottom. And you give, you give yourself up to that. And I don't think it's despair. It's not despair. Despair is something different. But of simply reaching the point where you can no longer pretend for that moment. And he's crying for himself and for everybody else. Oh my gosh, like the whole movie, I feel terrible for you <laughs> uh, as him. And then I go through a kind of a roller coaster where I'm like, oh, he's getting better and things are moving along and then things are bad and he's put in, you know, a place and then he seems to be doing well. And there's just so much up and down. But like that last scene, like I, and again, I hate to mention it because I don't want to give any spoilers and we'll hold it, um, you know, until people see it. But that last scene like killed me watching you. I mean, you were so good. So what do you pull from that to play this kind of roller coaster? And then this end moment, there's nothing, there's, there's just these words being said, music playing music, such a huge part, which we could talk about, but it just, it just killed me that, that moment. Well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a combination of things in a moment like that. It's a combination of, um, you know, I'm, I'm never going to sit there and pretend that I know exactly what, you know, what, what would be if, what, a, what would have been in his head at a point like that, you know, it's, it's a sort of imagined moment, you know, and it's, there's loads of different factors that you can draw on when, when, when you need to do that as an actor. And I, I don't, I don't draw on anything in my personal life. I, I just, I enjoy the challenge of trying to be something, be in a state of something that two, two minutes before I wasn't. I enjoy the challenge of it. It doesn't always work, you know, but it's, um, it, we, it, I think it worked that time. There was a, it helps as well. We shot it at a certain time of night. And so there was a certain light. It's, it's, it's like anything, it's like a romantic dinner. You know, you, you really do have to set the scene, you know, in certain, a certain lighting state, a certain piece of music a certain thing you wear, a certain person that you look at can really set the mood. And it's just, um, I, don't, I, I don't know how to describe how you do it. It's just, uh, we, I had the actor that he is uh, looking at in that moment in the wheelchair. I had, I, I had met him, I had him in my head. I had Wilfred's poem in my head. You know, uh, Terence was reading it at the time. All these different things, it just sort of culminate and, and, and your whole body goes, right, go. <laughs> Which is, um, it's a wonderful thing to 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 be able to do and be able to walk away from unharmed. It was amazing. Yes, the movie is so beautifully done and the poetry just hits home and the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. Like you said, the lighting, everything was superb. So I was just wondering if there's a specific scene for either of you that sticks out when you think about this film, like what is the one thing you remember so vividly like filming? Oh gosh, there are lovely moments because it was such a joy to do. Um, 
at the moment, the one that leaps out is when they're doing the Charleston. Um, I love the Charleston. Um, but what was, I'd never used a steady cam before. We used three steady cams on this film. And these men are so gifted, I can't tell you, because that was the first moment we had a steady cam. And the man follows Hester and she has her arm out and he followed her. I mean, he felt that frame. He didn't think about it, he felt it. And he was in amongst the, the dancers. And it's so joyous. It, like when people sing and they really enjoy it, when they dance and they enjoy it. It's just so terrific. It's ter I love the child, I love that bit. And I think it's really rather a good scene as well. Some nice sharp dialogue. So that's my favorite scene at the moment. Tomorrow will be something else. A great scene to pick. <laughs> And I, I would say the exact same thing. I, any scene where I'm, I'm allowed to dance uh, will, will be forever burned in my mind. And I, I genuinely loved, I would, uh, I, I sort of wore up a patch in my carpet in the hotel that we were staying in, trying to get the Charleston uh, footwork, which is really, really hard. But it, it's, I, I mean, I grew up on stage. I grew up in musicals since I was, you know, since I was a teenager. And so that, the, the whole sense of, right, there's this big musical number coming and we've got to get it, we've got to nail it. I miss that, I miss it. You know, you don't often get to rush. do that. Yeah. Oh my God, the, the rush and the, you you felt it was shot in this wonderful sort of big conservatory orangey at the side of this hotel. And it just, it was in a beautiful sort of late summer's night and you felt, it felt like a performance of a play of a show had just finished. And it felt like we would all go to the bar afterwards if it hadn't been for COVID. We'd all gone to the bar and gone, wasn't Jean very good at the end? You know, God, she, almost, she, almost, she almost really gnaws that up at the end. Yeah, get that arm, Jean. And I, I missed that buzz. So I completely agree with Terence. That was, that was one of probably my favourite to shoot. Yeah, I want to do a musical. <laughs> um, the musicals that I grew up on. Oh, it was it was amazing. Um, so we'll put the word out for Jack. <laughs> then you're a musical, okay. and Terrence will have to make you make a musical. So we'll start putting those feelers out there. Oh, uh, it was I'd, so I'd love to, but you know they don't write them anymore. Um, they don't we'll, write. We'll them work anymore. on that for you guys. <laughs> I've, I've I've always wanted to see Terrence's My Fair Lady. I want to see that, and I think we we I think the world must see it. I think right. it has to, whether, and whether it's on screen, whether it's yes, on screen terms or in a park. But the problem would be, I'd do it from the flowers point of view. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're being told to wrap up, so I don't want to get into our couple, but I wanted to tell you guys, Jack's just done. <laughs> but, um, I want to tell you guys, we love the movie so much. You were one of the first people we had to speak to. I mean, I've been doing prep for Toronto for like the month and a half. And um, we wanted to make sure that you guys were one of the first ones. The movie is so beautifully done. The music, by the way, is amazing. It was great musical choices in there when there's no need for dialogue. I just want to mention that really quickly. Jack, you did such a good job. It's so emotional and so much of it relies on you. And it's just so good. And Terrence, the way you filmed it, everything you did, the choices you made, I just, I, it couldn't be any better. It's like my pick of yeah, the oh. festival. So, I mean, it couldn't be any better. Um, and we just love you guys. And we would just keep talking to you if I wasn't getting yelled at to wrap up. <laughs> well, thank you. I, was, I was very lucky. I was very lucky. I had everyone, literally everyone connected with the film, were absolutely committed. And that is so fabulous. It, it, 
it's the first time in all my, my filmmaking where I could honestly say, if everyone hated it, I could still stand up and say, no, you're wrong, it's good. With all my other films, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. But this I'm very proud of, because this, I think it's the best thing I've done. Thank you.